quick heads up before we get to the episode today. Um, last week, the audio was a little messed up. This week, it's even worse. I'm really sorry about that. It's just my audio. Rick sounds fine. Um, because of last week, we double checked to make sure the inputs were correct and everything looked fine, but it just didn't come out right. Um, this has been a problem since we started working from home and recording from my, my apartment. So anyway, we'll have to get this figured out before next week. I promise we will. Uh, we're still producing this episode, so you're welcome to listen to it, but the audio is really, truly terrible. So, uh, you know, fair warning, feel free to skip this one if you're bothered by bad audio. Uh, all right, let's get on with the episode. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And hi, I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. This week, we're going to talk about a startup manifesto. There are different reasons you might write a manifesto for your business. Uh, you might want to send it to customers to help with marketing. You might want to write it for internal use to help clarify your vision and your principles. So we're just going to kind of talk through why you might want to do it and give some tips on how to get the most out of it if you do choose to write a startup manifesto. But first, let's give some updates. All right, we are recording. Um, so it's your topic, which means I guess I'm doing updates first. Yep, so I ask. So what have you been up to this week, Taylor? It's been an eventful week, I think, for everybody. Um, or uneventful. Week, uneventful in the sense that no one's allowed to go outside, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, last week we kind of talked about coronavirus type stuff, and it's amazing how much has changed in about a week. Like, I was in San Francisco, and right after we got off our call, it kind of, I realized, like, I, can, I have to stop pretending that I'm allowed to be on vacation right now, so I changed my flight and canceled my ski trip and flew home right away and just kind of been self-isolating and stuff ever since. Um, did the bachelorette, bachelorette party go on? That got canceled as well. Shout oh, no. Shelly was having that. But it's okay because the wedding got canceled, so there was no rush on the bachelorette. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are you going to go ahead and get married, or are you really going to hold off getting married until then? Uh, we're probably going to... Whenever it's safe to travel again, we're probably going to go to L.A. where Shelly's um, grandma is, and she's the one who, like, has the most urgency to see us get married because she's 96 years old, so we'll probably do that and then have the ceremony next spring. Cool. I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, tie the knot. Like, you got to do it. Nah, you gotta, we got to lock her down. I don't partake. We've been dating for eight years, so I'm not in a huge rush, as you can tell. But <laughs> uh, yeah, basically just delaying the wedding by a year. And now I get to make a lot of jokes like, is it ever going to happen? Like, maybe I'll never marry. Uh, but yeah, coronavirus is definitely, you know, having its impact. Um, other news I, I got a dog yesterday. Um, is it a full time dog or is it like a temporary dog? It's like a full. Uh, I mean, in theory, I guess we're, we have some kind of grace period where we're allowed to say this didn't work out and give it back, but that's, that's not happening. We're, we're keeping it. Is it a he or a she? It's a he. What's his, his name? name? Jolan Dunbar. How, what do you call him? Jolo. Jolo, Jolo for short. Do, do you know who Jolan Dunbar is? Uh, no idea. Uh, he, he was a linebacker on the Rams back when I actually liked the Rams. Um, and for whatever reason, we just always kind of 
it's kind of like a ridiculous name, and I liked the player, and so long ago we decided Jolo, Jolan Dunbar, will be the name of the dog whenever we get one. This was years ago. And then coincidentally, this is like the biggest coincidence in the history of my life, we move into this new apartment, I check my mail for the first time, and I have a bunch of mail for Jolan Dunbar. We are living in his former uh, apartment. Are you joking? No, I'm serious. This actually (laughs) happened. (laughs) You got to reach out to this guy. I tried to, his DMs are closed on Twitter and stuff, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, we're in, we're in Jolan Dunbar, Dunbar's apartment, and we had already decided to name our dog Jolan Dunbar at that point. That's so cool. <laughs> it was meant to be. We still get his mail, his, his like, like, health insurance and stuff. He, he needs to update his address. <laughs> How old is that dog? Uh, six. Six. Like, did he already have a name before? He was a stray, so the shelter named him, but he did not have time to like realize that that was his name. So we have he probably had a name previously in his life, but we have no idea what it was. We would have kept it if that had been the case. And what do you like about him? Like, what's what's is it going well? It's going well. He's a basset hound. He's incredibly lazy. That's what we're looking for in a dog. Just like <laughs> can only walk once around the block. It's perfect. How did he and Myrtle get along? Myrtle the turtle. Yeah. Um. Living in separate worlds, no interaction at all, so it's perfect. And it's Menelaus, right? Is that the name of the Menel- turtle? Menelaus is the turtle's <laughs> name, yes. <laughs> anyway, so I got the dog. <laughs> um, so that's been a big a big change for us, but uh, that's fun. And then, like in terms of kind of business stuff, what's been going on is, I think, more of what we talked about last week. You know, we were kind of saying how big a deal is coronavirus and stuff like that. At this point, it's pretty clear, even if the virus itself is overblown, I don't think it is, but even if it's overblown and it shouldn't be that big of a deal, there's a recession coming almost certainly at this point, I think. So we're starting to see a slight uptick in cancellations and churn. People saying, like, like we had a 30-user account who's in the process of canceling, and they're just like, I'm pulling back because of the economy, basically. Um, So trying to figure that out and just make sure... I don't want to overreact, but like make sure we're kind of giving ourselves as much flexibility as possible financially and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm I'm noticing that certain industries are are basically going dark. I mean, you've got anyone in the travel business basically is ceasing operations for a time period and may may or may not come back online afterwards. But major layoffs, uh, and then hospitality, same thing. Like if you are someone who is a server or bartender you are not needed right now. And it's really kitchen staff and people who can deliver food. So, uh, man, it's yeah, hard. Absolutely. I, you know, I mean, first and foremost, you feel for all the people getting laid off and stuff like that, but the, the ripple effects of this, like, I don't think less annoying CRM is particularly in the line of fire relative to so many other businesses, but if I think, Every, there are some businesses that will actually benefit from this. Actually, yours might be one of them. A lot of people might be looking for individual health insurance. But a, a business that's like more or less completely unrelated to this, like less than CRM, I think is still going to get hit pretty, not super hard, but like just the whole economy. There will be fewer people making money and spending it, and it's going to it's gonna affect everything, basically. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, we uh, talked about that last week, so I guess <laughs> yeah. we, we well, don't I, need to belabor that. I was going to say something else. Like, It's actually interesting. I'm, Leg Up Health is going to benefit positively from this because, one, people are it, – it's, it's, it's this – now people value health insurance more because of the mm-hmm. outbreak. 
Um, and then also the, there's given the uncertainty around testing uh, and care and symptoms and body effect of the virus, it's it, a broker can add a lot more value and creating clarity. So um, there's so far so good for leg up health um, on a like a recession basis. Now, one thing I'm worried about is once we get through this, because the cost of individual health insurance is still pretty high, um, how many people drop it for cost reasons? Yeah, that's interesting. I was actually just talking earlier today with another founder who his business is like to make software for remote teams. So he, he said like their 10x growth right now versus normal. So it's really great. But one thing I think anyone who, well, anyone who's benefiting from this, first of all, obviously you want to make sure you're not opportunistic and like an asshole about it. But once this is all over, you want to make sure you can prepare for stuff to kind of come back down to earth and it's a good it's a good problem to have but if you for example are like spending as if it will keep happening like that growth will keep up forever yeah that's probably not the case and those people may churn too like once they go back to normal life so yeah i um question for you you said opportunistic i i don't have a huge of a negative connotation about being opportunistic but i looked at the definition recently and it's basically uh acting on an immoral basis uh to seize opportunity. I mean, I guess um, you, you used it as a, as a negative and negatively right there. Yeah, I actually was second guessing that. I, I didn't know the, you could interpret it to mean just taking an opportunity, which isn't bad. But the, the way I meant it was like almost being cynical, being like, I don't care that other people are suffering. I'm going to use this to sort of leverage my position of power in an unethical way is kind of what I meant. I think you're using it correctly. I think I, I've been using it the way, the former way you were describing, and I think that that is incorrect. So I need to change my usage of the term. Um, I've, I've been telling people I'm very optimistic right now. <laughs> well, I wonder what the like non-immoral version of it is. Of just being like, I seize opportunity. Is yeah, there a word like, for that? I'm open to opportunities. I guess it's a phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so that's that's my stuff. What's what's up with you? Well, uh, we had, I woke up to an earthquake yesterday at 7 a.m. Uh, it was a 5.7 on the Richter scale. I've never experienced anything, anything like this before. Is 5.7 big? I never know what the It's considered are. moderate, um, but it was 15 to 20 seconds of the house sh- of the condo building shaking and my wife screaming. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were especially, both, we were both in it bed. feels like it's the end of the world right now anyway, so it's like, oh, but it just happened. <laughs> Yeah, um, the joke around here is that across where our condo building is right across the street from the temple, uh, Salt Lake City Mormon Temple, and there's this big gold guy, I forget his name, on the top of the temple. You know, you see these, if you see a Mormon temple, you usually see this gold statue and he's holding a horn. But apparently, like that guy in the Mormon book is the guy who uses the horn to call Jesus for his second coming and the in, and signal the end of days. Um, and so so he dropped his horn, so he cannot signal the end of days. The, the statue, the horn fell off the statue? Yes, because of the earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, then you're safe then. Everything's good. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't, in that 50 to 20 seconds, uh, I'm pretty sure... 
I wasn't. I, I woke up to my wife screaming about the earthquake, not to the earthquake. So she scared me more than the earthquake did. But it, it's incredible. If you haven't experienced an earthquake before, it's um, a very unsettling feeling, and it makes you feel very small. Um, and then we've been having aftershocks. Probably had a couple dozen, maybe a few dozen aftershocks, ranging from barely noticing it to threes and fours, um, which pretty crazy. Dishes broken, books fell off shelves. Um, pictures off walls um some buildings that aren't built to code you know crumbled um so crazy yeah that's a that's i I live in san francisco where there's little earthquakes all the time but yeah i've never been through anything that big it sounds like that's scary oh yeah um glad glad you and Sable are all right thank you uh so uh, the other thing i wanted to talk to you about was we a few episodes ago asked for some feedback on whether people enjoyed or disliked the updates that we do at the beginning of each podcast. So a typical format is one of us brings a topic, we alternate topics each week. But before we dive into the topic, we spend anywhere from 15 to 25 minutes talking about what's going on in our worlds, respective worlds. Um, the feedback was overwhelmingly positive based on the feedback you received and I received that um, basically said, keep doing the updates they're valuable. Yeah, although something I wasn't, I probably phrased the question a little weirdly. Um, I wasn't exactly considering stopping the updates. I was wondering, should we blabber on for 20 minutes or should we say, no, we're going to keep it to a tight five or something like that? And I'm not sure we 100% answered that, but it seems like people enjoy it enough that we should have gotten short. It seems like what we're doing is fine. Um, yeah, and so yeah. if, if it makes sense to go on further because the topic's, the updates are interesting. It sounds like we're not going too far, but I, I, I hesitate towards putting a strict time limit in based on the feedback yeah. we received. So we'll just continue. After, to... after this one, though, everyone's going to be like, uh, that was enough dog and earthquake content. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the, uh, we'll, we won't change anything, but if you ever have feedback, we are open to it. So uh, do you have any other changes to the format? Comments yeah. in the format. Cool. Um, the the main update I have is I'm spending a lot more time on leg up this week than usual. I a couple of things are happening. One, I'm getting more focused on all of my ventures. That was happening before the outbreak or the uh, pandemic and the the earthquake. But now that that those two things have happened, there's literally no one taking meetings. I have. All, I've completely, I have no meetings scheduled for the next few weeks. And this was the first week of really no meetings. And I didn't realize how disruptive they were to flow and getting stuff done. But this week I've made a lot of progress on like up health. I've launched a new help desk. I launched on help scout. Um, I've, I've got uh, my, I started sending monthly updates. Excuse me. I started sending my monthly update um, template out to users, updating them on their deductibles that sort of thing. And then I've been, had some time to really think through the product development side. So I've dove into details on the different no code platform options. Um, and I've had some unsettling news. I got a little stuck because some of the key features for my MVP that I, or my, that I want to, I guess, in SP as we said it, minimal, yeah, minimal viable, minimal cell product. Um, it's their limitations. So there's a lot well, much more significant trade-offs between the different no-code platforms themselves and then trade-offs between the no-code platforms together and co actual coding that I wasn't prepared for. 
for example, help like service is a big part of my offering. So having a chat bubble in the app available is critical. It doesn't appear that Adalo, uh, which is a St. Louis no code platform, supports uh, em- embedding JavaScript uh, of any kind. So really? I can't, yeah, I can't put a pet chat bubble in the app. And I've asked the question, I haven't gotten a guaranteed answer on this, but I've gone through all their docs and posed the question a couple of times. Hopefully they'll get back to me soon, but I'm assuming that the answer is no right now, which is pretty like a no non-starter for my business in terms of being for any business. Like that seems like it's table stakes. I mean, what if you want to include an analytics tool? What if you, you want can't? They do support. They do. They they have um, specific integration support for like Mixpanel, Google Analytics, that sort of thing. But you end. It's it's very um, field based in that you put in your Google tracking code, your Mixpanel uh, ID, and they don't have this for like an Intercom or Health Scout. And so, but they don't. They also don't have a custom like header JavaScript site wide type thing. So. Um. Can I propose a possible worker? Not that it, a part of me thinks if a platform doesn't support that, then like that means you shouldn't rely on them anyway. But I think there's a decent chance that you could uh, insert something into one of those other fields. And are you familiar with like how SQL injection or basically like entering code that should be escaped? You can potentially inject other JavaScript through the Google Analytics tracking code if you want. Well, the, the Google Analytics tracking code is purely a, a ID. Like, you just put in your Google Analytics account code. So I'm not sure this would work, but, like, yeah. sometimes the way you, quote-unquote, hack something is you... In, what you put in as the ID is, like, a closing JavaScript tag and then your opening JavaScript tag, and then it would... Uh, you'd have to figure out the exact format, but there might be a way to inject third-party JavaScript that way. If so, you so, like, otherwise would want to use that. So hypothetically, they could be using that code in some JavaScript that I can't edit. And if I close their code and then reopen another one and close an, uh, the, the other the new one, then I could potentially hack my way into the, the header file. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's a good idea. I'll try that. If, if you otherwise want to use them, give it a shot. I, let me know if you want help with that, but it's it might not work, but it might. That's the only roadblock with Adalo right now. Like that, that it that alone is the one thing that keep is keeping me back. Um, the other key no code trade off for all platforms is the ability to secure um, secure the chat bot. So when someone logs in, being able to authenticate that it's them and show them history and keep that HIPAA compliant. It, you don't have a whole lot of control over the user authentication and ha- passing that information to third-party apps. So even if I got the chat window up there, it would be really hard to use some of the uh, security features, um, some of the larger features that are custom to each user within these chat tools. Yeah, although I've definitely used things before that, um, like I feel like Stripe maybe, I was, I was using some kind of support tool where they... You're talking to them within the app. It feels like they should know who you are. But when you ask a sensitive question, they send you a link. And they're like, click that link and authenticate. And that's how we're going to, like, they, they basically have this workaround versus just knowing instantly who you are. Obviously, it's better to know instantly. But some I, I think it was Stripe. It was some, like, very major tech company did this to me. Apparently, people accept that user experience. Okay. Interesting. I'll have to look into that. 
The other key feature that I'm stuck on is uh, electronic signatures into custom like documents built on a per user basis for the broker of record assignments. So uh, building in a document signing tool that takes into account specific fields that from the user and specific fields from a, a, pol a health insurance policy object um, doesn't seem to be possible within the app um, for these tools. So I'll have to like, there's a workaround whereas you, you basically use Zapier to create a, a link to a document that, that they get emailed and then fill out via email, but it's not ideal. Yeah. But then again, I mean, you're not competing with some other app that does all this stuff. So as long as your support's really good and you're doing something kind of novel, it's okay if for the first year or two, UX isn't like perfect, right? Totally. I, so I think the chat bubble is like 10 times more important right now than electronic signatures in app. So that means Adalo is probably not a go and I'm going to have to use Webflow, the Webflow stack, which is not, a, not as ideal. The, you know, this is also forcing me to look at coding again, but there's such a large ramp up time. I think I, like at the end of the day, I've got to build something in no code first to sort of proof of concept here on the product. And then, kick punt on the coding because it's going to take me to, to, to learn time to learn it anyway. I mean, this is the perfect time to use no code where you've got customers who seemingly are happy with no software product at all right now. Um, every little thing you do above that just makes it even better. You don't have to be perfect here. So if ever there was a time for no code, it seems like it's this. I agree. I, I just, I, I'm stunned on the chat bubble. I want, Adalo just to add the, the ability for a chat bubble for me and so I can use them because they're just so much easier and quicker to develop in um, because they've locked down a lot of the customization. It's super simple to build. Now you look, you give up some of the UI stuff, but that Webflow offers, but it's, uh, it's so much easier and quicker to develop in. So anyway, I'll let you know what happens with that. Cool. Final thought. Could you just have the chat bubble just link to, like it shows up there and you press it and it just opens a new tab or something. Yes. But I lose the ability in that case to do specific pop-up messages based on the page that yeah. they're viewing. And that's super important to me. Gotcha. That makes sense. Cool. So, but yeah, like there's workarounds for everything to like, but since it's a productized service, like this seems like a really big feature, like just the chat bubble alone is probably the biggest feature in the app. So my topic for today is about writing a manif manifesto for a startup. And by manifesto, I mean writing something down that write, you know, that represents your company's point of view. A lot of companies do this, especially if they're going into a new market in a different way. And they use the, the manifesto in a couple of different ways. It could be a way to help new team members understand the, what the culture, what the tone is for the culture and what point of views are important to, to work there. Um, it can be used to uh, give people who are interested in interacting with the brand a bigger reason why they should and, and you know, making people feel part of it. So as a marketing tactic, you can make the, make the manifesto available for download and let people really dig into your, your unique views on the world as it relates to whatever industry that you're operating in. 
And, uh, yeah, I think you've done it. You, you don't have necessarily what I would call, you haven't labeled what you've written a manifesto, but when you look in your culture guide at less annoying CRM, you've, you've put some substantial time into positioning less annoying CRM and its uh, views on the world and, and running through how that affects, you know, your product development uh, on the, on the uh, CRM, your pricing, your, your dis- decisions not to raise venture capital, uh, goes through all of the decisions that you've made because of your point of view. And I see the opportunity to do that with leg up health because I think it's you know important from a culture standpoint. Um, I also think it's going to be an opp- opportunity for a m- from a marketing standpoint. I just don't know when to put the time into writing it. I've got a lot of stuff in my head, uh, but it's still not like fluid in my head. So writing it down could actually clarify a lot of things for me. So there's value there, but, but I also have more important things I potentially right now to do. So I, I don't know. I want to just pick your brain for a little bit on why, one, I guess, should I do this? I think I should. That's my assumption coming forward, but I'd like your thoughts on that. But then if I should, when? And how do, like how does this get prioritized relative to other things at this stage of my business? So yeah, you, you touched on this, but so there's, there's at least three audiences for this. There's potential customers. There's you to help you kind of have this North Star to make decisions with. And then there's employees one day so that all the stuff that's in your head can be transferred to them. I think if you're asking, should you do this right now? Well, probably different content applies to the three audiences. It might be one big manifesto or it might be one might be called employee handbook and one might be called manifesto or whatever. The, the employee one, I think we can definitely punt on for now, right? Because you're not planning on hiring anyone anytime soon. I think the most important one is actually me. So if I look at like the stakeholder right now, I think uh, before I could actually write something good for a third party, whether that's an employee or um, any other stakeholder in the business, I I think I need to clarify this for myself. So it's almost like if I were going to write a manifesto for marketing purposes, I would first have to like clarify a lot internally just for myself in a private document before I wrote, I wrote that for the world. I think I agree with you, and I'm guessing we're going to talk about that for most of this. So let me let me say a thing that's maybe not quite that, which is I've seen a bunch of startups um, use a manifesto as the first way to kind of build the very beginning of their audience. And in most cases, the manifesto doesn't say anything about what they're going to do. It really just defines the problem and says, if you share this pain, join me. And I'll, I'll fix it, but I'm going to talk later about how. So an example of this is, um, oh, I already forgot the name of it. Uh, some, someone whose podcast I listened to started a chat app that was competing with Slack. And his manifesto was entirely, here's what's wrong with Slack. And it started, it was really great. It was, have you ever had one of those days where you get till noon and you're like super productive and you don't know why, and then you realize Slack was closed? That was like the first sentence of it. And it's just like, here are all the ways Slack keeps you from getting work done. And then at the bottom, it's like, if you want these problems solved, join my newsletter. I realize like, that's a very different thing from clarifying your you know, values and principles and stuff like that. But that is one type of manifesto that probably you could write right now if you wanted. That's actually the part that I want to write uh, the most right now. It's explaining why this is a problem and getting that nailed down in a way that I can tell... I, I can 
you know, send someone a document on that wants to get it. I can convert to a, a, a 15 minute talk. If I wanted to give a talk, um, a webinar, um, even a one-on-one customer development meeting, um, or initial screening call with a user. It's kind of like, yeah, it's like that, uh, like why we exist, like the thing that sets up the pitch. Right. So it's not yet saying, here's why we're different. Here's what's good about us here. It's just establishing the problem. I think that that to me is well worth, uh, you, you could talk yourself out of it, but like you said, you're going to repurpose that in any number of ways. And I think it's one of those, right? There's, there's two different modes of writing. One of them is like the more you write, the longer it takes. This is the opposite. This is, I think you could sit down for a half day and write a 10 page paper that would have all the stuff. And the challenge is spending another week turning that into a one paragraph explanation of that, that still communicates it to an average person. Yeah, I think, um, I think I've actually already done the outlining for this. I just need to put it into like re- re- legible language and then get confident, spend enough time on it to get confident that I've got this fully, like, this is all, this is all of it. This is what, this yeah. is the, this is the full problem here. And I haven't, I haven't done that. I guess um, the, what I'm interested in, I agree that that's what I should do. So um, that's step one. And then I can always tech on other things and repurpose that in a number of different ways. So what, um, you know, right now I'm, I have like, uh, I posted on Andy Hackers what my seven assumptions were for the business. I have five or six, five, six or seven. I can't remember what they are um, off the top of my head. I can't remember how many there were, but we, one was, you know, could I, could I cross the compliance moat? for like health and I've checked that box. Um, you know, another is can, um, are there users who feel unserved and underserved in, in Utah? Check mark. Yes. There's clearly that, um, is the Utah market big enough to build a two or 3 million AR business? Yes. There's over 200,000 people buying health insurance conservatively in Utah. Uh, the, you know, then I, you know, fourth was, do I feel confident that, that I can acquire customers via word of mouth and referrals uh, through professional connections? Yes, I do. Um, check. And, and then the, the, the one that I'm stuck on right now is I can build a, I can productize this with no code, to, with no code tools. <laughs> and uh, so I'm stuck on that. You know, I guess um, right now for me, it feels, if, I, what are your thoughts? Like, should I, where does the manifesto fit? relative to this product roadblock that I'm on right now. Yeah. Yeah. So what I was kind of saying before is like, I think you should do this, but the argument against it is that the reason to do it, or one of the obvious reasons to do it is to send it to customers and say, and get them on board. But if that's not the challenge you're having, the argument against this, I'm not saying I believe this, but the argument against this is all that matters right now. You've, got all the other stuff figured out all that matters is building the products so are just 100% stay focused on that so yeah i agree with you i think that the 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 right now product is the roadblock once i'm done with the product it's going to be a question of how can i help people understand and validate the problem that they're having the unserved problem and i that's not the problem i have right now i, I don't have a capacity problem go ahead but let me, so something that I've, uh, I think of myself primarily as a product person and I think I'm good at it, take pride in it. And even still, I constantly, constantly make the mistake of like 
just spending a bunch of time on something that I thought was important and it wasn't important. Like if you take all of the things that we could be working on at Lesson Learning Serum right now, there's probably like a one week project that could have more of an impact than whatever three month project we're working on right now. And we just haven't thought about it that way. Um, an example of this that I it probably isn't right, but if it were, it'd be a perfect example. Maybe your chat bubble that's getting you caught up, maybe it doesn't matter. Um, I'm not, I don't know, but like the point, uh, maybe a reason why it's worthwhile to write all this stuff down, even if you're not worried about getting customers and getting them on the same page, it might help clarify what does the product actually have to be so you don't spend a bunch of time. Like if you're just working on product, you can really get in the weeds and forget what really matters. I've definitely done that enough of, I've written enough of this down already that I know that the chat bubble is important enough. Like that is, that is what's different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Availability like, you know, and, and service. So, um, but your point is, is still true in that. I, I think like this isn't related to the manifesto, but right now I think the manifesto is not most important for me right now. It's the, it's getting a, a product out. Um, where, where you're, where, where, where I can apply what you're saying is I think I am trying to find the perfect no code solution, uh, that solves more problems than it needs to. And in reality, I think if I took some time to the half day project I need to do coming out of this is I need to write down all the things that I want in the no code and then do some Venn diagrams on, you know, different platforms and what they cover and pick the one that it has the the most important features and, and you know the old go ahead uh, you know the old amazon trick i i'm skeptical if this is actually true or not but they say it's true that amazon will write the press release for a product before they start working on it have you heard that mm -hmm. and it sounds kind of like that's not like full-on manifesto but it's kind of like a very abbreviated version of the manifesto which is six months from now what is your press release and that might inform what the product needs to be right and I, yes, how about my press release is in May or April. I'm going to write that and that, that'll force me to do the problem thing, but then it'll also force me to do the solution thing. Um, and then that will dictate the features that are the minimal set that I need to be able to cover. So yeah, yeah that's, that's actually pretty useful. The press release is the best way to go on this. It's the first version because it, it, it contains the text so it doesn't get out of control. Um, and it helps me with the product development piece. Yeah, and I, I do think like it's tempting to tr like try to build like a bible almost of all your philosophies and everything. And the reality is like we have that at Lesson Learning Serum now. But if I tried to sit down and write that on day one, it wouldn't have been right. Like you kind of develop some of that over time, which isn't to say you shouldn't be thinking about that stuff. But I bet like an internal just like a bullet list of ideas is about the right level of detail now. So you can like, you don't forget stuff, but I bet six months from now, you're going to be in a much better position to like really codify all this stuff. Yeah. I, and the interesting thing is I have a lot of bullet points right now. I need to, I need to go through them. I have pages and pages of bullet points. I need to pull them into a one pager and simplify this down to, you know, a press release style. I, I love the press release format because it constrains, whereas a manifesto, like by definition, is as long as it 
as you want it to be. Yeah. Do you know you know Jason Fried, the founder of Basecamp? Mm-hmm. He uh, have you heard him talk about like if he could teach one college class, what it would be? No. What is that? He says I everything Basecamp says is like a little too exaggerated for me, but I think the idea is interesting. He says the first assignment is like write a ten page paper, and then the second assignment is like write that same thing five pages, and it goes down and down, and the final is one word. That is so awesome. It reminds me of my health economics professor. I forget the guy's name. It was something Schwartz, maybe Richard Schwartz. That doesn't sound right, but he was a head of public pol- health, public health at uh, at Duke University. He um, he didn't. He taught a little bit, but he taught through writing, and his assignments were always around writing the the. A lot of uh, in health economics, there's a lot of different views on is an HMO better, is a PPO better, is um, you know is uh, managed care better than consumerism. Um, so so we would look at these different topics, and there'd always be one side arguing one thing, and the other side you know for this policy or against it, and he would have us write um, for for and against perspectives on each of these topics, and it was. Every week, there was a new, there was a new argument to be written. But the most interesting thing is usually teachers put a word minimum. He always put a word max, and it was freaking short, man. Like you had two hundred fifty words to write the argument, so a total of five hundred words. And that was the that that exercise alone made my writing ten times better than it was before, just because it forces you to write what you mean instead of blabbering on. Yeah. Yeah. Editing stuff down, deleting stuff. I'm probably still not very good at it, but definitely I think that's a valid, valuable writing skill. And it's, it sounds like, you know, we came into this with the topic of writing a manifesto and it turned into writing a press release. Yeah. That's exactly what we're talking about is how do you condense it down into something small enough and easy enough to consume that it's not just like every thought you've ever had in your life. Yeah. And, uh, the press release is going to force me to write out what I want the world to, what I want people to be saying about the product. Cause it's really a press release. It's not just any press release. It's a press release launching the launch of the product. And that forces me to focus on that. And it ha- you have to, you have to set it up with a problem. So it'll force me to clarify that. And then, um, yeah, I actually did this exercise. I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. I did this exercise when I launched leguphealth.com. I had a lot of thoughts around it, but I did a one pager landing page and it forced me to go through the messaging points and, and condense them. And I did, and because it was limited to the specific, uh, one page home screen, it, I wasn't allowed to just throw everything in there. I had limits on what I can do. I'm basically going to do the same thing for a, a, a second marketing page, which will be a news press release. I love it. That's right. And if something isn't on that list and you're like, well, I want to use Webflow, but I can't build it. If it's not on the list, I'd say just, who cares? Build it in Webflow or build it in whatever tool, right? Oh, yeah. Like, if it's not on the list and I, it's a nice to have is what you're saying? Yeah. Just, just, just get, it, get, get, get the smaller set out in no code and then get hit the press release. And then if you need to move to another platform later or you need to build it in code, do that at the right time. No, this is helpful. You solved two pri- two problems. I think I, the real problem that you've helped me with is not so much related to this top the topic I brought in. It's getting unstuck with product development. So uh, interesting. Um, just in the interest.
listener might be thinking through, like, have we learned anything about manifestos here, or was the conclusion just that's not, like, like what we're really talking about is how to kind of focus on product development. Do you have any takeaways here in terms of yeah, uh, what are manifestos for, who should be writing it when? I mean, for me, like, maybe we can just spend a minute on why should a founder, in your opinion, write a manifesto in the first place? I'd be interested in your thoughts, like pros, the pros of writing a manifesto, the cons. Yeah, I would, well, I would separate an internal, uh, kind of what we're about document totally separate from what's customer facing. You may one, you may derive one from the other. Um, but one reason to write a manifesto is if you're like me and you struggle to get an audience and stuff like that. This is a good way to get people on your side, to get people interested in the problem you're solving very, very early on. Um, you don't have a product yet, nothing like that. How do you inspire people? A manifesto is a great way to do it. I do agree with that. Yes. Yeah. Now, that's not your problem, which is why you're not doing that. You, have, you already have a way to get customers, but if you were stuck on that, I'd say go go write that. Um, yeah. The, uh, the, the third, you said one, you'd separate internal for company purposes and then external for marketing purposes. I would add a third, which is internal for founder purposes, just aligning yourself or your co-founders around what your your point of views are is worthwhile. And I've done that actually myself. I haven't used a manifesto to do that, but the, the idea of clarifying your points of views, the clarifying the problem, clarifying what, what, you're, what direction you're heading and why um, for yourself and your co-founders, is worthwhile. A manifesto is one way to do that. If you collaborate on it. Um, I don't know how, how, how involved was Bracken in the less annoying CRM sort of internal document? Yeah. So most of the things Bracken and I work on follows the pattern of, we talk about, do we want to do it? What the kind of high level, just, just words approach. I go do a first draft, whether it's designing a product or coming up with a new policy for employees or anything. I kind of, create it based on our conversation, and then he plays the role of editor. So for a lot of our internal documentation, and I, we've never referred to it as a manifesto, but it, that wouldn't be an incorrect description of it. He's kind of the person who comes in and is like, well, you know, these two points are kind of inconsistent. And what was, that happens when he does that with a product, it's like, okay, I need to improve the UI. When he does that with an internal culture, you know, manifesto thing, it's not you need to write this differently. It's you thought about this wrong, right? If two things conflict with each other, it's like we messed up our first principles here. So it's really great, whether it's a co-founder or even someone outside of the company, someone reads through it and can point out problems with that. It's a really good way to realize you actually don't have this thing figured out the way you thought you did. That's, that's, that's really interesting, actually. I buy that. Um, and you, you pointed out kind of the difference between a founder like doing this for the founders to have direction versus kind of the internal culture thing. I agree those are two very different objectives that can be accomplished. I think they can be accomplished with the same document. Totally. The question is, is it ready to share with others? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like first you need to write this thing for, if you're a solo founder for yourself, if you're, if you have multiple founders for each other, and then once you're all on the same page, you can share it with the world, but you're going to get, you have to be prepared for receiving feedback and aligning people to the document and, that might mean getting people like selling people on what you're saying and, or it might mean going back to the drawing board. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, can I 
I give some random like odds and ends that I've run into as, as like, when oh, I've I'd, written these things? I'd love it. Um, so one thing is if you have this stuff and it's ready for the world, I, I think there's probably three tiers. There's like, it's ready for founders. It's ready for employees, like internal, and then it's ready for external. So we just started sharing ours externally last year. Um, maybe most companies never do that. Uh, I would say get it to ready to share internally before you make your first hire if possible. And onboarding needs to be go through the whole thing with them and explain it and talk about it and make sure they understand it. So that's one thing is if you have this manifesto written, that's like, that's not going to train someone on how to do the job, but that's almost all the cultural mission, vision stuff that you need for onboarding right there. Yeah, that's actually a good timing. Like when should a founder invest in a manifesto well, before you hire your first employee? Um, it's and, and what do you include in a manifesto? Well, everything you want your first employee to know about the business and their first yeah. month of being there. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to think about it. So then that makes me think of the question, well, what should be in it before that first employee? It's not like, obviously, you already know all the things or a lot of the things. So my initial reaction to that question is uh, when it's just you or just a team of co-founders, what this manifesto should be is it should keep you on track when you're making hard decisions. It really, really helps to be able to reference this document and say, okay, I'm confused right now. I'm in the weeds. I don't have any clarity, but the person who wrote this in the past had clarity and wrote down principles. Does one of these help make it clear how I should make this decision? Yeah. It's like a, it's a decision-making tool and it tell it tells you a lot more about what not to do if written right then it does tell you what to do. So I, I you know, I, we had one of these that I built for people keep. I didn't have one, a good one for Zane benefits. When I built one for people keep, it helped me a ton. And in, in terms of freeing up people that weren't me to make decisions because they had something they could test their decision about. And it's much harder to know what not to do than it is to know what to do. So once you can eliminate what not to do, you get a lot of freedom within the space left left over. Um, yeah. and so, and so I, I, uh, totally agree with that. What, what do you think about, um, let's say I have this manifesto for myself. I not going to hire an employee for a while, but I want to release it to the public, um, to get support from partners and other players in the space. Sorry, we've got a dog barking outside. This is very new for me. Uh, <laughs> um, you were saying if you want to release it to, uh, to to partners and stuff like like how basically like what if is it okay to do that if you don't have an employee? Like, yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. I do think like you referenced at the beginning of this conversation, you could take this manifesto and repurpose it. You could turn it into a presentation. You could turn it into this or that. I do think most of the time. The, the document that is most helpful internally is not the right document to share with the outside world, not because it's like secret or whatever, just it's not the right format. So you might say, can I turn each one of these points into a blog post or a marketing page or something like that? But it's the core document. So once you have that internal document for yourself or for you and the founders, you can repurpose it for your new employee if you need to, or just share it with your new employee, which is probably the right idea. You can... Uh, repurpose it for any stakeholder and, and any format 
because it will, the essence of what you're trying to say is all there. You just need to re rewrite it, reformat it into the format that is best for the audience you're trying to get in front of. Yeah, absolutely. An example of, of this, of less annoying CRM doing this right now, we share our entire, we call this the employee handbook, but it's effectively a manifesto. Um, we share it with anyone who's considering applying for a job as a recruiting marketing tool. We actually kind of had a podcast episode about this a long time ago. What the goal is to do is to build that into the recruiting site. So it's like, why should you work here? Well, here are the values and stuff like that. That will be a lot more effective than just being like, here's a 20-page Google Doc, go read it. But the, the basic principles will be the same. Totally. Yeah, it's it's basically like your messaging platform for your business. Uh that is just about who you are as a company. What, uh, what else? I think that's pretty good. I, we, we covered two topics here. We covered how to, how to do the product stuff and how to do a manifesto. And I feel like I've got a little more clarity on both. And it sounds like at least some of this can, can go apply right away. Yeah. My takeaway is I have enough clarity for myself and the documents I have already that I don't need to spend more time right now perfecting the manifesto, but I think applying it to this product situation that I'm in right now, what I've already put in and then sort of repurposing it within the product press release could unblock me and could uh, lead to some progression on the messaging. So I, I think actually that's what I'm going to go do. That's my takeaway is I'm going to go write the press release. Um, and once I have that, I'll, I'll decide on the no code tool. And once I set on the OCO tool, I should be able to move pretty quickly about getting the product out. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's hear some updates on that uh, in the next yeah. couple episodes. Cool. Uh, any other takeaways for you? No, I think that's good. All righty. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. I'll see you next week, Tyler. All right. See you.